0: The following presentation has been prepared by the Video Tax News team for Canadian tax and financial professionals. Program recorded January 14th, 2020. Enjoy!
1: Welcome to the February edition of Life in the Tax Light, the love edition. <laughs> Wow, I'm not sure that what we
2: got to talk about today is going to be loved by a lot of people, but we will let them be the judge. It's full of
1: intensity. You know what?
0: You're going to need to find someone to hug after this session. So there you go. There's your romance. That's the first, though. Let's go. Okay, Lynn, what's the first thing?
1: Yes, joint tenancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a quick reminder here. You know, sometimes you may be uh, motivated to put uh, maybe a child on as a joint tenant of a property to avoid probate, the probate fees, the probate process. However we have an article here which highlights uh, a key area of concern a key risk uh, that you may run into if you do this willy-nilly in this case we put an individual on as a joint tenant and it was actually creditors of that particular individual that started going after this asset held in a joint tenancy so caution there uh, there are a lot of potential traps in doing this type of work yeah
0: just one little note too the minute you put somebody a title, that also could be considered a disposition of a part of the property, taxable disposition There could be some tax yeah. you have to pay too.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Papering up the intentions becomes pretty crucial for these. Well, assuming you manage not to lose all your assets by putting them in joint tenancy and having <laughs> the joint tenants credit <laughs> coming back, someday yeah. the executor's going to have to deal with all the final tax issues and uh-huh. uh, we saw a pretty sad recent case and I look at this and go, it sounds to me like the executor was trying to do right by everybody mm-hmm. and I accidentally stepped in a minefield. So. What happened here? Well, the executor knew that they had to get final tax returns filed, but we'd like to get money out to the beneficiary. So you know what? I'm going to go to an accountant, get some advice, get a tax estimate, we'll hold back that money to pay the taxes, then I can pre-distribute stuff. And it's not clear whether she knew she should have got a clearance certificate and decided not to, or she just didn't realize. She was setting herself up for personal liability for underpaid taxes without a clearance certificate. Either way, she didn't hold up the process to apply for a clearance certificate. So what happened next? Well, they get the return done and, oops, estimate was a little light, So now we got to pony up some extra cash the estate doesn't have anymore. Not to worry, figures the executor, I'll look after it and I'll go back and collect from the beneficiaries for their shares. Because we all still love each other. Of course. Well, apparently we didn't because the beneficiaries said... No dice, we don't love you that much. So now we're off to the courts to say, hey, make these beneficiaries pony up. They got more cash than they were entitled to. Well, the court didn't have a lot of sympathy here. They said, as the executor, you were supposed to get that clearance certificate. That's in the income tax law. Yeah. You didn't, that made you personally liable. CRA was allowed to collect from you. You gave the money to the beneficiaries. You don't get to take it back. So. I'm not sure if we're gonna see this one hit court again uh, if someone advised her it was safe not to get a clearance yeah. certificate or just because that estimate was uh, not correct. But it really highlights how easy it is to step in a minefield as an executor. Definitely, And you know most people don't do that more than once or twice in their lifetime. So it's easy to trip up if you're not getting good
0: advice. And
1: as an Uh, advisor, you've got to be careful not to give, you know, or you'd be careful with what you say with respect to clearance certificates.
0: Well, let's move this little love fest on to the next category here, which is, again, not happy. Uh, So this one has to do with uh, uh, purchase of a pre-sale or pre-built condo. Uh, So you buy that condo before it's been completed, and uh, you either sell it before completion or just after completion, or maybe you start to lease it out. Uh, well, we've got a couple problems here. Um, it gets very complicated from a GST, HST perspective. You may have a deemed disposition or a sale value uh, where you have to take a look at the fair market value at the change there at the time of sale or at the change to a leasing. And uh, if that's gone up from what you paid originally, you could be on the hook for that additional amount of HST, GST associated with you uh, in respect of it. It gets very complicated. You have to look at whether you would be a builder or not, whether you're in the business of it or not. But the thing is, you might think, I don't know how to hold a hammer. I am not a builder. (laughs) I don't know anything about business.
1: Are you talking Um, about yourself? Yes,
0: totally. Uh, I've seen you try to
1: change a light bulb. Oh, gosh, (laughs) enough
0: of that. With a hammer, of course. Uh, The bottom line here is uh, even though it seems there's no way you could be a builder or in the business, et cetera, you can be very easily. So you need professional advice when it comes to Mm -hmm. this. Just one purchase and sale, purchase and lease can cause a real problem. Look into it deeper. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Joe, I'd say anytime you're dealing with any real estate transaction that's more complicated than mm-hmm. I'm buying it, moving in, and living there. Yes. You need yes. HST good advice. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Let's move on. The Home Accessibility Tax Credit. So this is actually the good news part of the day. Don't blink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but the concept here is uh, we did have this Home Accessibility Tax Credit, this C that was first introduced for the 2016 year. And it is just now that we see the first tax court case coming out, looking at CRA's administration of this credit. So what do we have here? We have an individual who did uh, a number of renovations at his house to help his wife, who was 76 years old, get around a little bit better in the house, allow her to access the house, he took some rickety old steps and replaced it with a large deck as well as solid steps and aluminum railing. And Sierra looked at this and we said, you know what, that uh, amount that you spent on this, I don't think this is a qualifying renovation. I don't think you're going to be able to get the tax credit based on of your renovation. And the court basically looked at this and said, no, 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 no. Number one, we do think it was a qualifying renovation. Clearly, getting the steps to the house made it more accessible for your wife, who was 76 years old. Mm -hmm. But the CRA's second argument, I thought, was even more interesting. CRA argued that, you know what, we think the primary intention of the taxpayer here in doing this renovation was to increase or at least maintain the value of the property. Yeah. And if you do that, you don't get the credit. It doesn't matter if it was a qualifying renovation or not, and the court basically said, you know what, this these rickety steps, they were a problem for years and years and years. And you know what, if, You wanted to increase the value of the house, you would have done the renovation years ago, but you only did it when your wife's condition deteriorated so much such that she needed the new steps to be able to access the house. So we don't think the primary intention of the renovation was to increase the value of the property here. Yeah, it
0: was just the timing just clearly connected with that uh, incapacitation.
1: Yeah, yeah. And just to tie it up, uh, you don't need someone who's 76 to get the credit. All you need to do is to have someone who's either over the age of 65 or eligible for the disability tax credit. So a little bit of good news uh, related to claiming these home accessibility credits.
2: Okay, that was the good news. Go back <laughs> to the bad news. CRA is, uh, said they're going to step up their promoter compliance strategy. What does that mean? We want to go after these people that are marketing aggressive tax schemes. It seems a little too good to be true. Or the only reason I'm even getting into it is the tax savings. There's no other reason to get into this investment. Well, they want to have better communication to taxpayers so they know up front what CRA thinks are these bad tax strategies. And they say, if you're promoting these, We're coming after you with both barrels. We're going to hit you with penalties for the taxes that you're trying to help these people avoid. What kind of transactions are we talking about? Well, CRA gave a few examples, but I know the ones that I've seen in the markets that resonated with me were surplus strip schemes. Means of trying to get money out of your corporation using the capital gains exemption when you're not actually selling some or all of the corporation. Leveraged life insurance annuity schemes. A lot of different complexities there, and not even always life insurance. Could be accident insurance, critical illness insurance, but using it for tax purposes, not for protection purposes. Uh, Straddle losses. Commodity derivatives that we realize a loss this year and a gain next year don't actually plan on making any money. We just plan on having a big deduction this year and pushing the tax forward by a year. So a couple of others that are more complex listed and probably more out in the wings that CRA isn't saying yet or maybe even hasn't identified yet, but for those getting involved in these aggressive tax strategies, maybe think twice and maybe have a look on CRA's website and see if that's one that they're considering problems yeah.
0: with. Well, let's move on just a little bit further, talking about negligence and erroneous donation claims. So here we had uh, an individual who had uh, claimed $60,000 in donations over a four-year period, and uh, 20,000 of them were, at, were actually good to go. So uh, can CRA go back and assess more than three years into otherwise statute-barred years? Will gross negligence apply? Well it all depends on what that $20,000 represents and how innocent of a mistake it was. In this situation some had been double counted and uh, there was an issue in terms of the documentation so somewhat reasonable. Um, the other side of it too was a bunch of tuition was paid to a charitable organization and the amount in excess of what a normal tuition would be was claimed as a charitable contribution. There's a potential there but there was no charitable receipt therefore you wouldn't get that either. So anyways but Both of them fairly innocent, represented carelessness, therefore they could go back to statute-barred years. But gross negligence did not apply.
1: It was a little bit of a mistake, but not that big of a mistake. (laughs) So that's all we have for you today. We'll see you next month. The Video Tax News team has been providing Canadian professionals with practical tax information for over 30 years. Subscribe to one of our tax
0: newsletters or join us as we present live and online seminars relating to both personal and corporate tax. For more details, visit www.videotax.com. The preceding information is for general informational purposes only and deals with dynamic, time-sensitive, and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts and circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more details, see www.videotax.com. Copyright Video Tax News, Inc. 2020. All rights reserved.